Welcome to Frontline Static, a podcast that helps bridge the gap between work life and home life of healthcare workers, first responders, and military personnel. Welcome to the third episode of Frontline Static. I appreciate you all tuning in every week to hear the podcast and... This week, my family's been planning to leave on our big four-wheeling trip we do every two years with friends and family. Uh, We have a 1973 or 74 Land Cruiser. My husband's going to kill me that I don't know the exact year that we take for a week, usually to Moab, and we four-wheel a bunch of trails um, along that week. But this year, we're headed to Zion National Park, which I've never been and my kids haven't ever been. So uh, we're, we're very excited about heading out here tomorrow. It's been interesting because in the last uh, past years that we've gone, we usually get ready at least a week out. And here we are the day before and we haven't done anything yet to pack for the trip. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but we're a little bit more relaxed this year. We're happy to be getting away um, for six days. The kids are happy to be missing school. So I hope that all of you are having a great week and this episode will be airing on a Friday and I hope you have some fun things planned for yourself and your family this weekend. This week I'm joined by Alfredo Suarez who is a friend and old co-worker of mine who is also a CRNA in Arizona. He shares and talks about some of his insights on mental uh, health and the work you have to do to become a CRNA and some of the challenges and fun parts of the job. So without further ado... Here is my interview with Alfredo. All right. How are you, Alfredo? I'm doing great. How are you, Janessa? I'm doing good. Thanks for meeting with me today and being willing to be interviewed on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And it's great to talk to you. So let's talk about how long we've known each other. How long have we known each other? Well, let's see. Um, I have known you for quite a few years now. Um, I want to say I finished nursing school in 15 I believe okay and then that was when I started working in the ER in the ICU and that's where I met you in the ICU at Korea Delta and then since then um, we've kind of always kept up with each other as far as our nursing and uh, then we worked together uh, in flight nursing I'm trying to remember, you never were at CRMC, right? So it was flight after Kauia. Yeah. And what year did you come over to flight nursing? Because 2016 was when I left Kauia and went mm-hmm. and went into flight nursing. And then how yeah. long after you were in the ICU at Kauia did you come over? I want to say it was, I think, 2017 or 18, I believe. Okay. I don't have my date straight, but yeah. Um, I know it was uh, around that time. And I wasn't much, I wasn't, I wasn't in flight very long before I got into CRNA school. That's right. I can't remember. It was maybe like six months or it was less than a year, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell me about yourself, a little bit about yourself and kind of your career path with, um, with nursing. Sure. So, um, for the listeners, my name is Alfredo Suarez. I'm a CRNA in the Western region of Phoenix. And I'm originally from California. I was born in Reedley there in central California. And then I was raised most of my life in Nevada. And then when I graduated high school, I decided I want to go back to where I was born in uh, California. So I went back and then I kind of started 
my career then, you know, I started my prerequisites and I decided I want to do nursing. So um, I went to COS for my associate's degree and that was a wonderful program. Um, I got good training. I met some great people. That's kind of how I started getting, you know, these people um, familiarized and becoming friends with them, working at Kauia because we did clinicals there and then Tulare Regional. Um, so I finished my associate's degree and then I started working right after that because I was kind of a little bit of a, uh, in a crunch to start working because finances were a little bit tight with my family situation. My dad had just passed away, so I was trying to help my mom. Anyways, um, so that's when I started working at Tulare Regional in the emergency department. As soon as I graduated, I got a job offer there. But more importantly, I was wanting to do ICU at Kuya Delta because I loved it. That's where I met you and I met all these other great people. And, you know, I thought that was a spot to be. I was like, man, they take care of some sick patients. I was like, that's where I want to go. So uh, I started working as an ICU tech, like a CNA type position. And that's kind of how I started the whole the whole process. I was hired on after I graduated also in the ICU there. And then uh, I started my career and I started just kind of learning the ropes and getting a lot of knowledge from you guys. And, and then I went shortly after that to go get my bachelor's degree. And uh, it was basically a situation that I wanted to continue to learn and, and continue to get you know, sick of patients. So then after Korea Delta, I wanted to go to CRMC and take care of patients there. So I started working in trauma PACU and um, I love that job. That was fun. Um, a lot of sick patients, you know, high acuity, level one trauma. I was, I was in it, you know, and at that same time, that's more or less when I started to really see what CRNAs did. And, um, their role and the dynamics of all that. And I met some awesome CRNAs who later on became my mentors in, in my CRNA program. So that was a, a great situation to be in, a local guy. Was uh, it Javier or Dajan? I can't remember which one. So he was part of it. Uh, Javi was a great, he's still a great friend now and I still catch up with him. He's out in Texas now, but. Okay. Um, he actually got me, with the idea to do CRNA school way back in, in my time with Tulare Regional. We had a little conversation, but mm -hmm. I wasn't 100% sure about it. Mm -hmm. And then I worked with him at uh, Kauia Delta, and he was on his way out the door to go to Buffalo to do a CRNA training. So I didn't get a whole lot of time to really pick his brain. He was just working a lot, getting ready to save some money and, and leave his family to go do that. But um, that was part of it. And then at CRMC when I was starting to work with the CRNAs, I was like, that's what I want to do. I was like, that's, that's what I see myself doing in the future. So I started to talk to people, ask questions, figure out what the path was, you know, what I had to do to get serious about it. And then um, basically after CRMC, I said, well, what do I want to do to kind of not, I, I didn't want to say it like in a sense of relaxing, but something that's a little bit different. And that's when I really was looking at doing flight nursing. I was like, man, that sounds even better than, you know, trauma and well, like in a hospital, at least I was like, you're out in a helicopter, you're doing all this cool stuff. You got protocols, you're by yourself with the medic and you have to really be, you know, tip of the spear. And I said, that's what I want to do. 
So that's uh, what shifted me over to doing that. And I figured, well, I think uh, that, you know, airway skills and the intubation skills that I'll learn there will help me translate over to CRNA training. And, and, and it definitely did. And that's where I, you know, relinked with you, reconnected with you. And then uh, met my buddy, Tyler, who's a CRNA now. We did our program together. And that's right. I forgot you guys yeah. went to school together. Yeah. yeah. Tyler was with us for about a year as well. Yeah. 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 He, he left a little bit before me. He was kind of ready to, you know, focus hundred percent on, on CRNA. And I still couldn't let flight nursing go. I, I loved it, you know, and I, I still uh, miss it, you know, even to this day. So, um, and then after that, after I finished up my flight career, I, um, got, you know, focused on school. I was already in the program. I was trying to balance both, but it didn't work out that way. Uh, CRNA school was very demanding and taking a lot of my time. Yeah. And let's talk about that because I think that's a big question people have, especially mm -hmm. a lot of people who want to be CRNAs have been doing nursing for so long. Right. 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 So to make the shift and like, think about going back to school for, is it three years or is it, it's three years now, right? Yeah. There's still some master's programs that are about 24 to 27 months, but the big shift now is to get most of the programs, uh, doctorate prepared and trained. Okay. So a lot of people like have this question who are teetering, you know, going Mm -hmm. back and forth with it of how much time do you have to give to the program? I think it's especially like for those people who still want to work or who have families financially that they want to provide for. So what would you say to that? Well, I think uh, a very important aspect of it to prepare yourself is to know what you're getting yourself into and kind of brace yourself. So uh, CRNA school is, is, was the hardest thing I had to do. And it, it requires 100% dedication and attention and focus. And you really, you shouldn't have a lot of outside distractions. So before you get, go into the program, you should have all these things situated. So your family situation, your family should know what you're getting yourself into and they should understand, you know, to some degree that you're not going to have a lot of time to spend with them. The holidays are going to be spent mostly on studying mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there's just not going to be a whole lot of time there. Uh, the other aspect of it is financially. Again, when you research these programs and you start asking questions and getting your information, um, it's going to be an expensive uh, program. The training, you know, is, is pricey. So you have to take those things into consideration and, and you know, start getting your financing straight because, the situation is when you're in school, you don't want, like I said, you don't want any outside distractions and you don't want any additional stresses on top of school. Mm -hmm. So if you don't prepare as best as possible, you know, when you start worrying about finances, you know, maybe there's some issues at home with money, those things compile and, and distract you from, from the the training and the, in the, uh, you know, the schooling itself. So I would say if you're considering going into CRNA school, you know, get all your information straight, get as much resources as you can prepare financially, prepare your family ahead of time. Like, you know, um, as far as them knowing like, Hey, I'm not going to be available. A lot of the time I'm going to be studying like 95% of the time and then probably sleeping the other 5%. (laughs) So it's just a lot of, there has to be a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversation 
And it's definitely hard regardless, even as much as you prepare, it's still difficult. Yeah. In the financial aspect of it, um, you mm -hmm. went the military route, correct? To kind of help I with did. that. Can you talk about that? I, sure, sure. Um, prior to that, though, I still tried to uh, save as much money as possible. Um, I was working a couple of jobs and, and this goes back to Javier. He advised me, he said, you know, try and save as much money as you can. Um, don't accrue any debt or as minimal as possible. If you have car payments, get rid of the car paid off, things like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I still didn't have a hundred percent of the funds available to cover school fully. So I started looking at, um, military options. And I looked at different branches. So the Air Force had a program, but I had already been uh, admitted or um, accepted into nationals program. And the Air Force was requiring me to get into a doctorate program. And how I figured was, I don't want to go backwards to get into a military uh, program that will help me with financial Mm -hmm. uh, so I looked at different branches. The Navy didn't really have much either. And then finally, the Army had a strap program that I looked into. And then I talked to a recruiter. Uh, the process was long. Um, I had to do maps and just all the documentation they require to get you uh, enlisted or not enlisted uh, to get you um, commissioned is extensive. They need all your medical history, your dental history, any basically any criminal records, even tickets, like you have to go and get all these records uh, for them to process you, to commission you. So it took a little over a year to get all that situated. And then finally I commissioned during my program during the first year. So okay. what I recommend to people if you're considering the military route is start talking to recruiters way ahead of your start time uh, for your program. That way the finances start coming in closer to when you start and not like a year after, you know? Yeah. And uh, what, what are the ranges and they might be different from state to state, but mm -hmm. what are the ranges mm -hmm. that you should expect to pay for the CRNA program? Well, from what I've seen, Puerto Rico has this, the, the lowest tuition cost. Um, but you're looking at anywhere from, I want to say these numbers aren't 100% exact, but I would say anywhere from uh, 80,000 to about 100,000. And the factors that contribute to how much cost it'll be is basically how you live during your schooling. So, you know, if you're going to be more conservative, obviously you can get by with a smaller amount and less loans. Or if you kind of just want to transition over to the same lifestyle you have, or if you have, you know, a lot of bills and stuff like that, you're going to require more assistance and more loans. So, it, you know, it really varies in, in the amount that you'll need. Okay. You know? But that translates in the end to really making good money though, post-graduation, right? Like the starting pay of CRNAs is pretty high, correct? Absolutely. So uh, you're very well compensated for your services. Um, you know, and you can expect, depending on the model you're in and depending on the state and stuff like that. Um, but for example, Arizona is a, a, you know, good paying state for their mm -hmm. CRNAs. Mm -hmm. um, if you do independent contracting, depending on how much call you take and stuff like that, you can look at making anywhere from minimum 180 for minimal work to anywhere 250 to 300, just depending again on 
on how much call you take. Cause that's mostly where the money's at in call. Okay. That's where you're reimbursed pretty well. All right. And then, yeah. so you did CRNA school and then kind of what was your path after that? So the part of, of training that comes along with it is you're, you're, you're showing yourself uh, off to, to these groups of anesthesia providers. So you're basically in an interview the first day you start clinical training. So, you know, just how, you know, you have to be professional, you have to be on time, all those basic things that people look at and your, your knowledge base, if you come to clinical and you're well-rounded with your knowledge base and you understand things and you can uh, answer the preceptors questions when they pimp you is what it's called. Mm. Um, those all, those things all look good. Right. So, um, basically my first rotation, I got a job offer the first few weeks I was there and, uh, it's a great group of people. It's the group that I work for now. Um, they're uh, a great group of CRNAs and MDAs. And, um, I kind of figured I want to come work with these guys. The environment was good. The learning was great. They were very patient, very knowledgeable, um, and they, they were basically people that I could see myself working with in the future. So, uh, from the first rotation on, I figured this is where I want to come work. So I pretty much gave like a, a word commitment, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that I wanted to take a job there and the rest is history. I continued my training. I went to Texas, uh, Nevada, um, and, I got offers out there too, but it just didn't feel right, you know, because I had already made up my mind on where I wanted to work. And uh, I just kind of went through the motions and and still continued to do a good job up till the end. And uh, once I finished training, I prepared myself to move to Arizona, you know, and uh, I got licensed and I got credentialed. And then I started working around September of last year. So I just passed my year mark and it's been a great year. And Janessa has been good. And what hospital do you currently work or are you contracted? Is your company contracted with the hospital? Exactly. So we're independent contractors. A whole group um, is, uh, you know, uh, an independent entity from the hospital. So we're all independent contractors. But this group that I work for, it's uh, Greater Anesthesia Solutions or GAS, G-A-S. And they have a lot of contracts all around Phoenix area. They just got a new contract for another hospital so they're definitely growing and that's just you know again going back to the type of people they are the work environments Mm -hmm. they're great providers very smart people um the big emphasis is independent practice you know these guys want you to be able to function by yourself think for yourself without having any other support or you know direction but um i work i started at this level one trauma hospital here close to my house it's about 10 minutes away that's uh browser west it's part of the tenant system and uh that's where i started and i just shifted over in july to a browser arrowhead because they had gotten that contract a little bit before july a few months before but uh that's more, more or less when i completely shifted over to browser arrowhead and it's been a good place too it's not a level one trauma but they do good cases a lot of vascular and you know orthopedics and general stuff. So, but the great part about it is I can go back and forth. So sometimes when they're short out here at West, I can pick up shifts and still do, you know, ortho trauma, cranes, stuff like that. So it's 
definitely a best of both worlds situation. Okay. Like, I want to speak on one thing that you kind of mentioned when you were doing your clinical that you felt like every time you went, it was an interview. And I think you and I are very similar on how our work ethic. Yeah, Um, yeah, definitely. And even in nursing school, I felt like this, and I'm sure you did too, that every time I went to clinical, it was an interview. I felt like, you know, and every time I went to work and I tell my kids this too, like every time they do anything, people are looking at you for possible things in the future. So what can you speak on that as far as like your beliefs on, on that as well, and kind of your path in nursing, how you've, how you've integrated that. Okay. Uh, I've kind of always been the guy, you know, I want to be the hardest worker. You know, I want to be the guy that's first to show up and last to leave. And that's always been my attitude. I think that's part of the reason why I've made it this far. And, um, I think those are just basic things that people should have when they're trying to reach a goal, whether it be work or any other aspect, um, doing the basic things well and, you know, showing up with a good attitude, you know, no one wants to come to work and hear about all the negativity in your life and stuff. Not that it's, you know, an issue or anything, but just sometimes that just brings a whole morale of the unit down or, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, I think it's important to show up with a good attitude, uh, work hard, and being able to know your limitations as well. You know, in mm-hmm. healthcare, the knowledge base is very, very wide. You know, uh, there's people that know a lot. There's people that know not so much, and we have to know what our limitations are. So I think a big part of it is knowing limits and saying, hey, you know, I'm not too sure on that, but let me get back to you, or just saying, I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. that's another part of it, being able to acknowledge your weaknesses and, and, uh, knowing that those things can be improved, you know, and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I teach, you know, my clients or people that I'm mentoring that your thoughts that you're having mm-hmm. and the beliefs that you have about yourself are going to directly create your results that you're going to get. 100% or the goals that you're going to meet. So like what thoughts yeah. or beliefs have you had to have for yourself, you know, to get where you are in your career now? Yeah. Well, I think there's an aspect of emotional intelligence. So I think, um, the medical field is very dynamic. There's a lot of emotions involved. There's a lot of stress involved and we have to be able to get a hold of those. So when emotions are running high, you know, patients are coding or just so stressed out, you kind of have to be able to get a hold of those emotions, right? And you have to be able to say, okay, even though it's a negative day or things are going really bad, I still have to think positive, you know? I still have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you can't get, you know, held down by these emotions when you're having a bad day. You have to just think positive. I think that sets the mood for the rest of the day and and how it'll end up you know you you have to think positive you know because that's what's going to influence your emotions you know yeah and i i love the movie um have you ever seen the movie ford versus ferrari yeah i love the part where he's talking about the main character the racer he's talking about like when he's going so fast and the race is happening like he has to focus his lenses out and see the bigger picture 
Exactly. Yeah. And I think about that every time, like we roll up to a bad traffic accident or there's a patient coding, you know, everybody's like so nervous about the one thing that gets get done, but you as like the higher level of care or as the clinician there have to like focus everything out and be able to kind of think about what's going on. Yeah, exactly. You know, going back to some of the training, you know, you have to learn about environmental safety. You can't just get honed in on one thing or another you have to you know what do they call it uh distracting injuries or whatever you know you can't you know focus on an evisceration or or you know something like that when the patient's not breathing you have to work your abcs and and work that you know atls all that stuff but i think that's important you have to look at the big picture and and um be able to control yourself and control your emotions absolutely yeah and i i love that you talk about, you know, showing up and being positive because it's so true. Like sometimes we do have to separate like whatever is happening before our shift, you know, to what you're doing for the day. So, um, you know, you talked about everything being stressful in healthcare and what we do and the shifts are long and we're often tired. So how do you handle your work home life balance? Like what are some things that you do to handle that part of it? Yeah. And I'd like to, you know, emphasize how much more stressful it is even now with COVID. You know, when I finished uh, CRNA school, I wanted to kind of get started on making some money. And I worked at Madeira uh, in the ER with, you know, the whole COVID unit and all that stuff. So it adds a different dynamic when we have pandemics like these. And um, those are the times you have to really be able to balance yourself. But some of the things that I do now, you know, we're training, you're kind of in that kind of mode, you know, you're like no sleep, study, study, study. It's not ideally a, a situation that, you know, you can do for a long time. Uh, but once you finish, you kind of have to rebalance yourself. So learning, you know, you don't have to work so much once you're done, you have to, you know, start balancing yourself. So some of the things I do, um, I've kind of, uh, listen to a lot of podcasts and, and read about, you know, how important sleep is. So I started focusing on sleep. I got a new mattress and, you know, there's so much evidence pointing towards negative health outcomes with lack of sleep. So I've emphasized that I want to get my eight to 10 hours of sleep. I want to have a good diet or a better diet. And it all starts with micro shifts. You know, we, we can't do all these things overnight, but starting to do the little habits that will get us there. Right. Um, trying not to stress out as much, trying to, you know, meditate. Fitness is another thing, you know, learning to prioritize your health. Those are all very important things that will correlate with longevity. We're in this career field for a long time and we want to be able to show up, be in good good spirits and be able to do it for as long as we can. Because most of us, for the most part, enjoy what we do and we want to continue to do it. So, um, but you have to also be able to say, I have limits. I have to focus on myself. You know, I come first before work or before anything else. My health is important. So we have to definitely focus on those things and mental health as well. You know, I know that you're, uh, you're in, a, in a field with a lot of mental health, you know, and um, we have to be able to focus on those things and reach out and talk to people and de-stress and um, definitely look at those things, you know? And I think it's something that not a lot of people talk about, like 
We all know it's there. We've all seen bad things and had hardships and seen a lot of patients die. Um, And that's hard. I think sometimes to just tell other people that we're having a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like sometimes, and it's not triggered right away. Sometimes we get triggered by it months later or years later. And it's, it's just something that I don't think we talk about in healthcare. And I've I've noticed it a lot as the pandemic has happened as well, because we, we weren't asked how we felt about it. We all just did it. Jumped in. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we kind of talked about this before that, like, I felt guilty sitting behind a desk having to take care of these patients and we all wanted to do it. It's not at all. Like we all felt like we were forced to do it, but I think the mental drainage and that, you know, I I think a lot of people don't want to talk about that and don't want to admit that they need to take time for themselves. That's a very good point that you make. I think there's some degree of stigma associated with you know, mental health. I know now it's, it's becoming a much more open, you know, topic, but I think going back a few years, it's, it's a situation where there's some stigma associated with it in the sense of it may correlate or it may show that you're weak in some, some Mm -hmm. way, shape or form. If you say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'm mentally drained. I'm stressed out. I'm anxious, whatever. I think that's gotten much better, but there's still, more work to be done with that in the sense of being able to talk to people about it, having it being more accepted. Like, Hey, we have mental health issues, all of us to some degree, you know, no one's void of it. And we have to be able to reach out, you know, if you're having a hard time talking to people, like I said, this whole pandemic has really given us another perspective on some of the things we need to do. um, As far as our mental health goes, it's very important. That's kind of where things start. Yeah. And you've probably seen as I have how, um, other people, I think sometimes buffer with the stress of our jobs and what we do, um, whether that's, you know, with alcohol or, or something else, but, um, you know, I think that it's, it's just something, like you said, we need to talk about more because I think when we don't, then we go to other things that we, we do to kind of put those emotions down instead of just experiencing them. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. You know, I was at a point where when I first started working and you don't think about this consciously, sometimes you just kind of do it. I found myself, you know, having a drink every day after work, you know, and it wasn't in my opinion, a problem. Like I didn't consider myself an alcoholic, but it was something that I had never done before. So I had to figure out what's going on. Like, why am I doing this? Right. And I think there was some stress component, you know, you're, you just finished training. Now you have to transition over to, you know, the real world. Now you're done. Now you have to start working and there's a lot of stress involved. Uh, you have to, you know, do a good job. People are looking at you like, Hey, this is a guy we just hired, you know? So there's a lot of stress involved. So I found myself in, the, in those habits and I, I had to quickly change that because again, for the long term, it's not a good um, habit to have, but um, another issue in anesthesia is, is what we call diverting. So sometimes when providers for multiple reasons, whether it's stressed out, they're having depression, et cetera, you know, they'll take drugs from, you know, their clinical side of their hospital, mm-hmm. they work at, and they self-medicate, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe it starts with alcohol. Maybe it starts with marijuana. Maybe it starts with pills or whatever. And then they transition to the harder stuff. And then there's 
a problem associated with that. And, you know, those people need help, obviously, but it's a real thing. You know, it happens more often than not. And we just unfortunately don't see it because people don't talk about it. Like you said, people don't yeah. reach out for help because maybe they're too scared to, or they're, you know, worried about criticism, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember, like, as you start to see those things, like you said for yourself, like just having compassion on yourself that yeah. you're at that point, like, it's okay, like that you're there yeah. and you're right. recognizing it. Right. So for you, when you started to see like that sleep was really important to you and you mentioned like micro steps, like yeah, what kind of things did you do to kind of, um, take the step back and take that time to remediate and have that awareness. You said it, it didn't happen overnight. So what kind of things did you do to, to um, get to that point? Yeah, definitely. So like I said, it starts with micro shifts. So micro shifts are basically little steps, little habits. You know, if you want to change your sleeping cycle or your sleeping habits, you start off with adding an additional hour, adding an additional two hours to your sleep, maybe going to sleep earlier, waking up later, stuff like that. Uh, and that's kind of where I started. You know, I started doing that stuff. I said, well, when I first moved out here, let me backtrack a little bit. I didn't have a mattress, you know, it was at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. So I was sleeping on Tyler's cot, you know, oh, no. that. <laughs> so it wasn't the best sleep. So I had to make shifts to, okay, I have to buy a new mattress. I have to get some good quality mattress and uh, get my, my sleep through that. And uh, kind of setting up my bedroom as a sanctuary for sleep, for rest, for recovery, you know kind of shifting towards that, but it all started with the little shifts, you know, saying no to people when they wanted to go out later, you know, or staying out late or going out to party or stuff like that. It, it uh, started with those little things like saying no. Okay. Now what, you know, getting a couple extra hours on the front or back end. Um, if you need to take some supplements, you know, melatonin or anything else, sleeping aids, there's multiple out there. I uh, use melatonin still and, and it gives me a lot better sleep and I'm able to watch it with my, with my phone through the Garmin app. And I can see kind of where my REM sleep is at. And I keep a good eye on that because sleep is very important to me now, you know? Yeah. And it's such an easy thing, right. That we can do, but as first responders and healthcare workers, like we are terrible at that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we get up early, we work long shifts and then we yeah. want to have our own time and we just right. forget to sleep. Right. And you know, especially like when you're looking at taking call or you're on call shifts, you know, you're, you get called at various hours of the night. So you have to learn to sleep on the fly. Also take naps, power naps, whatever, and uh, be ready for those long nights. I remember as a flight nurse, you know, you're on for 48 and sometimes you work a lot. Sometimes you don't work a lot. And you get to sleep and just kind of how it is. It's the dynamics of what we do, you know? Yeah. I love it. I think it's like learning your limits, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. What are your mental, emotional limits? And then kind of looking at the bigger picture and seeing how you can do better and make it better for yourself. Right. Um, what one piece of advice would you give someone who is trying to become a CRNA? I would say the one piece of advice is prepare yourself uh, and know that you can do it. It's not, it's not impossible. It's very challenging, but it's very doable. Also, I think the more information you get, the more people you talk to, 
uh, the better off you'll be because you'll have a sense of preparation. You know, I had this understanding of it being such a difficult thing and near impossible, but that's not necessarily the case. It's just uh, having to adjust your habits, your time management skills, all that to focus 100% on your training and schooling, but it's very doable. Um, if you prepare yourself and, and get ready, you know, we had some classmates that unfortunately didn't get through the program. And I feel like it went back to that preparation. One, one of the students said, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, you know, Mm. and it is hard, you know, it's very challenging. The amount of information, you know, the amount of tests, it's very rigorous, but you know, again, if you talk to multiple people, they'll tell you it's hard. You know, you have to study a lot. You won't have a lot of free time. So you go in with that understanding and you you get through it. You know, you do what you have to do. What would you say is the most challenging part of the job? And what would you say is the most fun part of being a CRNA? So the, I would say the most challenging part uh, in the beginning when you're first coming out of school is repetition, you know, you're going to make some mistakes, you're gonna, you know, because because you don't you don't do you haven't done anesthesia so long when you first finishing up, you're, you're still a baby, you know, so some of the challenges are getting proficient, getting faster, you know, doing a being safe, but being efficient and uh, having to manage everything around the patient and making sure everything's going according to plan and also knowing when it doesn't go according to plan, what you're going to do about it, um, knowing your limitations, stuff like that. So those are all challenges. Um, like I said, when you're first out of school, it's very stressful. You know, it's very stressful because now it's time to really do it. You know, and there's no one like if you go into an independent practice setting where there's no one, no supervision, you have obviously the backup of your coworkers and colleagues, but um, you're expected to be able to manage anesthesia and handle anesthesia and problems 100% on your own. And you're, you know, I mean, you're not going to be, you know, criticized if you ask for help, but it's kind of an added pressure, you know, as an independent provider. Uh, so, so those are some of the challenges. Um, but it's a very fun profession. It's, it's very uh, thought provoking. There's a lot of critical thinking associated with it. I know it doesn't seem that way because it's, you know, you put the patient to sleep, you maintain, you wake them up, but there's a lot to it, you know. Um, there's an artistic component to it, too, as well. You know, some of the things you want to do when you're doing anesthesia, you want to make sure they're stable. You don't want their blood pressure through the roof when you're in an orthopedic procedure. And the surgeon's like, hey, you know, I can't even see what I'm doing. They're bleeding so much. So that's where the art comes with it, you know, the skill and the style points, you know. Um, I like to tailor an anesthetic to a patient. So if you were my patient, I'd get your medical history and any past issues with anesthesia and I'd tailor it to you. You know, you're a female, you're at high risk for POMV, you're, you know, rather smaller than, you know, uh, different people. Giving away all my secrets, Alfredo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's just, you know, that's the fun part about it. It's, it's, there's an artistic component to tailor it to the patient. And then there's the opposite. There's patients that are very sick. They have a lot of cardiovascular disease stents. So then you have to kind of think a little bit more about their anesthetic plan. Okay. You know, can I safely put this patient under general anesthesia? You know, what's their ejection fraction? You know, um, 
stuff like that. And uh, you have to really think, but that's what makes it fun, you know, because you get them through the surgery and they wake up fine and they're talking to you and they, you know, they thank you for, for, you know, taking care of them and waking them up and doing a good job. And those are all the things that make it worth it, you know? Yeah. That's gotta be awesome too, because you get to see the direct result of what you're doing afterwards. Um, I mean, we don't always get that for us. So that's really nice for you to be able to, to do that. Yeah. So I have last one last very important question for you. Sure. Okay. If you were on a stranded Island, what is Uh the one food that you could eat every day? That's the only (laughs) thing that you get. Oh man. Um, that's a hard one. We also have to preface this with Alfredo's and meal prepper and eats really, really, really well. (laughs) Yeah. That's yeah. That's another part of it. I I've learned to, uh, clean up my diet some because I wasn't eating very good. I don't know how you I can clean it up any more than the last time I've been yeah. around you. <laughs> well, now, you know, now that uh, we're, you know, doing a little bit better money-wise, you can pay someone to do it, you know, but. That's true. That's uh, true. Yeah, I so would say. It could be any you know, food, um, sugary, carbs, whatever, yeah. but it's the only food that you're going to get on a stranded island. Well, I, I got to say. At the end of the week, I find myself always having pizza. That's like my favorite thing to have. That's mine. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can never get completely tired of pizza, you know? Okay. So Uh, what kind of pizza? Because you're only going to get one kind, like the same (laughs) toppings for every meal. What are you going (laughs) to choose? Oh, man. Uh, I like combination. I like the combo, you know? A little bit of meat, a little veggies, you know? Me too. That's That's exactly I think I'd be good. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so Alfredo, if people want to find you and get to know you better, do you have any way that um, any social media or anything that you use for that? Definitely. So primarily I find myself a lot on Instagram. So it's Alfredo, A-L-F-R-E-D-O underscore R-N-89. And give me a follow. I like to put some information on there sometimes when I'm doing cases or just some tips and stuff like that. Or uh, lately, I've been, you know, trying to get a lot of um, skill under the regional uh, realm of anesthesia. So doing different blocks, that's been really fun. Um, I've learned a lot about that, talking to different people. Um, But that's my primary place where I I do my social media is my Instagram and um, my email. If anyone wants to email me for questions regarding training or nursing or anything like that, is uh gsfrguy89 at yahoo.com and i'll be more than happy to talk to anyone who has questions or needs help with anything um that's what i'm here for you know okay perfect and we'll put those in the show notes too so that people can get a hold of you if they want to it was great talking to you today alfredo thank you so much for being on likewise Vanessa. thank you for having me and uh, i appreciate it and i i just want to say Thanks for all the work you do with uh, people and always being that uh, uh, open ear to listen to someone and that shoulder to lean on, you know, that's always been one of the great uh, qualities of, of you personally. Oh, thank you. And thank you for all you're doing too. Thank I know you're us. mentoring people too. Appreciate it. I try to. Thanks, Vanessa. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my chat I had with Alfredo, and I really love talking about the micro shifts your health that he touched on in this interview. 
Just recognizing the changes that need to be made and the results that we are making is a huge first step. The next is learning to just have compassion on yourself and not beating yourself up over it. We talked about uh, making these micro shifts to change and we also talked about how oftentimes we buffer with things like alcohol to avoid our emotions. So some questions that I just want you to think about if this is you is what are ways in which you buffer? What emotions are you attempting to avoid when you buffer? And what are the thoughts that cause each of these emotions for you? To stop buffering, you'll need to be willing to feel unpleasant emotions and give up the false pleasure of the buffer. Are you willing to do this? When we're willing to feel any emotion, whether it's fear, being scared, or humiliation, we are saying yes to the whole human experience. And if so, I can help you do this. And I want to offer you that when we do feel those things, we will spend less time pushing them down the next time. It will be easier to process and we will get to be living our fullest and best life. But more importantly, we'll be living our most authentic life for yourself and the rest of the world.